X-Ray. And welcome to the Beer Vana Podcast. Hi, Jeff. Hey, Patrick. You're back. It's good to have you back in the studio. Yes, I'm back. I'm back in the flow of things. Uh, Europe is slowly fading from my memory. And now, so, and now distant memory. Yeah, we got we to gotta capture those little remnants of my feeble memory <laughs> while they still... So that's Flicker. The, the bad. The bad news is it goes away fast. The good news is that you know you can go back in a year and it'll all be new. To that's you right. Like, that's right. What is this place? I'm living in the moment. Wow, beer. <laughs> well, anyway, welcome back. We missed you. Uh, it was hard uh, having you gone. It was certainly hard being in the studio uh, by myself. Of course, because we join you as always, nearly live from the studios of X-Ray FM here in the Falcon Art Building in beautiful North Portland. Uh, you are Jeff Allworth. You are the author of several books, including The Widmer Way, Secrets of Master Brewers, and The Beer Bible, which was the reason for your little jaunt into the nether regions of Europe. Indeed. Uh, uh, yeah. Sorry, go ahead. Which uh, we've now been talking about. This will be the fourth time uh, in a row. We talked twice about England. We talked last time about Belgium. And this time we're going to be heading further east. We are. So uh, that's going to be exciting. Yeah. I think... Uh, we'll talk about some countries that people probably don't have a strong impression of. Cool. I didn't. And, you know, I assume everyone knows exactly what I know. So there you go. <laughs> By the way, I should just mention now, I could mention later too, but you did a very good job keeping up on all the social media things during your trip. Uh, so there's a nice archive, the Beer Bible, uh, sorry, the Beer Bible, the Beervana blog mm -hmm. uh, has a lot of great content that you produce while you're there, which is pretty impressive. I didn't know how you got time to do that. Uh, my son told me that your Instagrammy thing was going crazy. Yeah. So uh, I checked out your Instagrammy thing. That uh, was cool. I was trying to keep up. I mean, um, as a writer, uh, these, these, everyone says, oh, you know, the field work. Oh, that's so brutal. Ha ha ha. It must be so hard to travel. But, but the, there is actually something that's a little bit challenging about it. And the, the challenging thing is as you're, as if you, if you go to a place to understand a brewery or a culture, uh, as a writer, you have to start processing immediately. Yeah. You, you can't just look at the data and let it sit there. Yeah. You have to figure out what what, what does this mean? How am I going to write about it? Yeah. So uh, the blogging that I was doing was kind of a way of putting my thoughts together so I could not lose it while I was in the moment. So yeah, you, know, I know you can it. see that that's like a first draft of the my thoughts. I know exactly what you mean. And, and my experience being with you both in the original Beer Bible uh, tour through England mm -hmm. uh, and Scotland uh, and also just the beer the the brewery tours I've done with you like when we went to Bend I mean it's fun but it's it's tiring it's uh it's <laughs> it's a it's a big day when you visit a brewery and you talk to brewers and uh, learn all about that by the end of the day you're pretty you're pretty bushed yeah you're also you're also usually given some beer to drink so <laughs> it all sort of adds up yeah and you're often given beer over a long period of time not a lot of beer but just kind of a, a a slow, steady drip, which, uh, can, it's actually more exhausting than going out and, you know, having a few beers at night and then you wake up pretty refreshed in the morning. It's, it's interesting. So yeah. Anyway, I haven't introduced you. You are, you are Patrick oh, Emerson. I am. Uh, you're a professor of economics at Oregon State University. Go Beavs. How are they doing this year? Uh, terrible. Well, if we're talking about football, terrible. <laughs> as usual, lately, it's too bad. Um, yeah, we're not the best at football, turns out. Yeah. Well, you but know, we you could, we could be again. We you, might be decent in basketball this year, apparently. And we're always good in baseball, so. You lead the Pac-12 in uh, brewing and brewing-related activities, yes. which is all we care about. Yes, who cares about football? <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
honestly, I don't, I don't pay too much attention except that uh, I park. Uh, I'm a cheapskate, so I don't pay for like the good parking. So I park down by the stadium. You're a full tenured professor, and they don't like have a a red. I should have my thing. own spot yeah, right in front. Yeah, yeah, totally. Actually, so I'm now. I didn't. I'm not all sweaty today. <laughs> the reason I'm not all sweaty is I couldn't ride my bike here because I broke my ankle playing soccer. So I now have my little boot that I'm going around. Yeah. Uh, so I was thinking, you know, if I, that's a really long walk. It's it's almost a mile from my car where I parked uh, to my office. Holy crap! That's L- crazy. Luckily, they have a little shuttle bus I can take. But yeah, uh, it's far away. But that's just because my own cheapness. Huh. Yeah. And well, also, and also, since I live in Portland and, and I commute down there, it's a good, you know, hour fifteen minute drive. Right. And so it's good to have a nice little twenty minute walk. Yeah. Twenty twenty five minute walk before and after. I, I drive. So anyway, enough about me, yes. <laughs> Oregon State University. Uh, so before we get started, we'd like to thank the Freem Family Brewers for sponsoring this episode of the Beervana podcast. Uh, you can find them in Hood River, Oregon. You can also find them at freembeer.com. That's P-F-R-I-E-M-B-E-E-R dot C-O-M. <laughs> yes, that last part was very important. You need to spell that. <laughs> Uh, okay, so today we're going to continue uh, on your voyages, Jeff, uh, through your uh, through Europe. After you, we, we, we left when we last spoke. You were leaving Belgium, like you know, metaphorically, because you're back already. Yes. Uh, and uh, you then went to Vienna, to Krakow, Vilnius, and Berlin. Uh, Lithuania is so unusual and rich that we'll leave that one for our final travel pod. Uh, so today, Jeff will let us know what's shaking in the land of Merzen, Grodzitski. Sure. <laughs> as long as you put uh, your heart into it. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and Berliner Weiss. Uh, you did a real Slavic thing there, too. You're like, really hit that, like, uh, yeah, you Yeah, you got to get the ground. Grodzitski. Grodzitski. <laughs> I don't know. So please let us know in the comments how badly I've mangled that. Uh, I like it. It's all about the verve, and you got it. <laughs> You've got to put your heart into it. Okay, but before we do that, uh, we have to get to the news. In the first news item, since purchasing the breweries in its craft portfolio, Anheuser-Busch has been content to promote pre-existing products from these brands. They appear to be trying something new, introducing new products under these labels. Maybe an inevitable (laughs) transition. Goose Island will be debuting a 3% uh, low-alcohol IPA, while Elysian will be the vehicle for a new hazy IPA. It will be an interesting experiment to see if these brands can generate interest with new products under AB or whether their value lies in their pre-acquisition products. So is it your understanding that these will be national? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Like big-time national products that they're putting out under the Elysian and Goose Island. Yeah, I read the, I read the when I read the article, uh, it which was in Brewbound, uh, it, it uh, mentioned that they had done a soft or not a soft release but they had been trialing the the goose island in chicago and it was selling really well which uh, is not surprising uh-huh. um so yeah i mean i'm interested in this because abi purchased these brands because they're strong brands uh that that have uh you know a following and that they wanted to expand on that right but here but so far we haven't seen them generate new products which right. their value will lie in their longevity and so it's going to be interesting if they can't do that the, the value of these brands will diminish over time. Yeah. Well, and to me, I thought they were always very clever in the sense that they'll just sort of keep 
strong regional brands, mm-hmm. sort of an archipelago of strong regional brands, rather than trying to sort of turn these into big national brands. So this seems to be a slight pivot on that. Maybe, although it does seem like in uh, the case of both Goose Island and Elysian, they have already kind of tried to do some nationalizing with those two brands. Yeah. So Space Dust is everywhere and Goose Island IPA is everywhere. So they're, yeah, I think, point. you know, may- maybe... Maybe it's kind of a two-tiered plan. They've got a national. They've got a couple brands that are going to be national, and they're doing different things with other brands. Yeah. So. Okay. All right. Uh, in sad news, that has a personal element. Boulder Beer, the oldest existing craft brewery in the U.S., they're uh, a few months older than Sierra Nevada, announced that it was drastically scaling back production and laying off forty percent of its workforce. Boulder will cease production on its fifty-barrel brew house and downsize to a brew pub system. Uh, our connection comes uh, uh, through longtime master brewer David Zuckerman, uh, who was an old classmate of ours from Lewis and Clark. Indeed. And he left uh, Bridgeport here uh, for Boulder back in 1990. Uh, we knew him as a home brewer when mm-hmm. we were undergrads, and then he went out to Bridgeport. So we followed his career with pride, and we are feeling for him and everyone there at Boulder. Um, this is kind of a sad day for an important brewery in the United States. Yeah, this is a major retrenchment. Yeah. It's, uh... It shows, I mean, there's a lot of these uh, uh, brands. I know this dates back even uh, even farther, but um, I was going to say the early noughties. We'll talk about the next news item as well and some other brands. That just, just this is this is in a, uh, in a period now of all of these new beers that's so very hard to, to maintain the, the attention of the marketplace, I guess. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, this is an, it's an interesting, we haven't seen anything like this. They, they were up to about 30,000 barrels, mm-hmm. uh, Five years ago, they were down to sixteen thousand barrels. Last year, they have a fifty-barrel brew house, which they're going to leave as a like a objet dart there in the, <laughs> in the brew. You know, it's like you, it's still going to be there, but it's just going to be mothballed, which will be kind of weird. It's humongous, yeah. And I mean, when I was living in Colorado in the early nineties, Boulder Beer was obviously one of the big, big brands and big beers. Um, yeah. And we talked about last pod. We talked about Odell Brewing, which is still doing quite well. They're another one. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I was musing. I wonder how the the opening up of uh, retail supermarkets to uh, full-strength beer uh, affected the market. I don't know. It's uh, Odell seems to be doing really well, but Boulder wasn't able to maintain their yeah, momentum. Yeah, didn't, didn't seem to help Boulder. Uh, and just sort of as an aside, at least at the time, I strongly preferred Boulder beer to Odell. So Yeah, but, I did too. I, 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 uh, I thought they had a couple of great beers. They, they had one of the first pastry beers uh, called Shake uh, Chocolate Porter, Chocolate Stout, um, which was crazy delicious. It, it was it was really sweet and pastry like, and I I felt a little dirty for liking it so well. But man, I just loved that beer, uh, which I I think is is still going to be made, of course, but um, not available as broadly. So sort of a there's a little bit of a trend line to this next news item. Uh, finally, Legacy Brewery Breweries, the company formed when Ninkazi Brewing of Eugene, Oregon, joined a real estate investment firm, announced its first two acquisitions. Colorado's Aspen Brewing and Laurelwood Brewing here in Portland. Legacy CEO Don Bryant added uh, this interesting detail when he spoke to the Aspen Times about the acquisitions. Over the last year, he said, we have been in discussion with 125 to 130 breweries. Not all of them fit our criteria, but when but we are in late stage discussion with about six of those, and our goal by the end of 2020 is to have 15 breweries. Yowza. Yeah. This is interesting. Yeah, it really is interesting. Uh, Laurelwood is local here. And in fact, they just closed their brew pub in my neighborhood. Right. Uh, they're losing their 
spot at the Portland International Airport due to a uh, uh, re not reconstruction, what am I saying? Remodel, thank you, mm. uh, of the wing they're in, but but they're not um, guaranteed a spot. In fact, Portland International Airport sort of does this rotating thing. So yeah, uh, and and they they kicked Rogue out, I think, and replaced with the shoots. Uh, I, think I think it was I think it was Rogue and Laurelwood used to be in there, and now it's Laurelwood and the shoots. And uh, well, Laurelwood's bigger spot, I think, was given to Hopworks or something. Ah, uh-huh. interesting. Okay. Uh, anyway, uh, the point is that there's a not not a now Laurelwood has retrenched, similar to Boulder. They've retrenched to sort of their original brew pub. Yeah. Well, it wasn't their original, but their main brew pub. Right. Uh, Mostly re- original. They <laughs> moved out of their original one pretty early on. Yeah. The one on Sandy has been there forever. Yeah. So it's uh, that's that's basically the uh, what's left of the business. They're keeping that. Yeah. And selling the rest to legacy breweries, uh, and what the rest is is not entirely clear to me. It seems like that's. That's it, but um, yeah, the brand. The I brand mean, itself. That's an interesting. Uh, yeah, it, that's. It was curious to me, and I wonder if this is not one of those things where um, it's personal relationships and an, and kind of a knowledge of the business and their the you know the uh, Mike DeKalb, the 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 owner the former owner of uh, Laurelwood. Yeah, may you know they may be on the same page and have a plan going forward since they clearly you know everyone these are Oregon breweries and everyone knows each other so. Yep. That that may be explain some of the things that would look weird from the outside. Yeah. It's interesting though at Brewery of Ninkazi size partnering up with a real estate investment firm wanting to do twenty uh sorry, fifteen breweries by twenty twenty. Yeah, it really is. I mean, this we've seen this model now replicate itself uh over the last few years where you have these little collectives uh and oh. uh, you know, it, th- this was very clearly the idea for this brewery and We'll see what happens. So here's the thing as from an economic standpoint, which is, you know, I talk about economies of scale all the time, but that's at at a brewery level, Yeah. right? There's huge economies of scale as your brewery gets bigger. But what kind of economies do you get having a single ownership over a whole sort of vast array of of breweries? It's not clear to me that you'll really economize on much, maybe sort of different market access. I I still don't quite get the business model. Yeah, I mean, you can streamline distribution with brands a little bit. Yeah, if if they're not already like all on different platforms in different states, which makes it right. actually more difficult. That's what I mean. Yeah, um, you know, I guess marketing can help sales, Maybe. and yeah, I don't know. But they're really different brands, so it's not clear that a marketer working for one, like Ninkasi's marketing, is going to look very different than yeah. uh, Laurelwood. So. I, uh, yeah, it's, it's hard not know. to be a little cynical and just think, okay, you have a whole bunch of investment capital out there. They see a, a high growth industry right. uh, at an individual level, although overall the trends aren't so great. And just thinking, okay, well, if 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 one fast growing brewery is good, then fifteen is even better. Let's just go nuts. But we'll see. Yeah, I think it is interesting that uh, it's a real estate firm, and Aspen apparently Aspen has pretty nice digs in Aspen, which is a pretty expensive place. That they must own? That they, I guess they must own, yeah. Okay. And then Laurelwood owns a building, although they're not getting that. But anyway, it, it, it could be that they're focused on a, a pub approach, uh, which would be, I don't know, interesting. That's Yeah, interesting. That's a good point. So we'll have to wait and see. I don't know. That's total speculation. Which is funny because it's exactly the opposite of what Ninkazi did. They were a production brewery from the beginning. Right. Uh, sort of tacked on a little tasting room to their brewery, but otherwise don't really have a pub operation. Yeah. Yeah, they're not. That was never their goal. Yeah, uh, which is interesting because Jamie Floyd came out of a brew pub. But anyway, okay. So uh, let's turn to the main topic. Let's do it. Uh, let's travel from Belgium. 
by train, I assume? No. Uh, I flew... <gasps> I flew. I flew this every... modern Europe. Yeah. Low-class airfare. Yeah. And... <laughs> Pro tip: So you fly on these these uh, these little. Uh, I didn't actually fly on too many of the cheap like uh, Ryanair things, but if you if you go for the cheap ticket, they they they're really hardcore about uh, the carry on weight. Y- yes. And so on this leg, I flew Austrian Air, and I went up to there. I went up to uh, uh, check in, and they weighed my bag. Actually, I I tried to go through security and they weighed my bag and they said, no, it's too heavy. You, you can't carry that. Oh, really? At security? At security. Oh, and they see, sent that's... me back. So I went back and I talked to a woman she said, and it was 11 kilos, my, my, my rollerboard. Uh-huh. And your, and the limit was? Uh, she, it, eight. Oh. And she said, if you can get it to nine. Just start putting all your clothes on, like layers and layers. I, I, <laughs> she said, if you can get it to nine, I'll check it for free. <clears throat> so I started hauling stuff out and putting clothes on and putting jamming stuff in my other bag. And I got it down to 9.3. And she said, but you won't be able to do that. Ah. And I came back and, and I got it to 9.3. And she said, I'll check it for free. Boom. And I repeated that uh, one more time, which was uh, very impressive because I saved myself like 50, 60 euros every time I did that. So yeah. uh, try to try to pull that off. All right, anyway, anyway <laughs> so, sorry. So we finally get you to Vienna, that next stop? My next stop was Vienna. Uh-huh. And I uh, uh, immediately got off the flight. Um, <laughs> turns out I chose an incredibly bad time to go to Vienna. The Austrian craft or the Austrian Brewers Guild not Craft Brewers Guild, Brewers Guild, was having their t- two-day annual conference in another city outside of Vienna Uh-oh. on the Thursday and Friday that I've spent uh, the days in Vienna. But I arrived on Wednesday night, mm-hmm. and uh, Andreas Urban, uh, who is the production manager, sort of overseas brewing operations at the Schweckett Brewery, mm-hmm. uh, agreed to uh, give me an evening tour. We had dinner together, and we looked at the archives of the Schweckett Brewery. All of this is interesting because in uh, the 1830s, uh, there was a guy named Anton Dreher right. from the Schweckett Brewery, okay. the very the very self-same brewery I was visiting, yep. who traveled with his buddy, uh, Gabriel Settlemeyer, who was at Spaten. They were the scions of uh, two kind of famous brewing kings at the time, mm-hmm. and they were young guys, and they wanted to learn how to brew, so they went to uh, the place where you learn how to where all the the great tech was happening, uh, which was the UK. And while they were in the UK, they looked at modern kilning techniques and thought, hmm, this is interesting. Uh, They also stole some yeast and, uh, (laughs) you know, they, 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 it was a little bit of a kind of an industrial espionage trip, which is pretty cool. (laughs) So they get back to their, their respective breweries and, and out of that trip come, uh, uh, the malting technique that would produce Vienna, Vienna malts, which a few episodes ago we talked to Van Havig about. Yep. That that was, of course, at the Schweckett Brewery, mm-hmm. Anton Dreher's Brewery. And then uh, at Spaten, they, they started pioneering the Munich malt, which is a darker but still lighter malt than, than, uh, than they were using at the time. Right. So the interesting thing is Vienna Lager is famous, famous beer. We all know about Vienna Lager. Yep. But Vienna Lager hasn't been made in Vienna forever. Really? Yeah. It's not, all you drink was Vienna Lager? No, it's not made there, except we'll get to it in a minute. But um, no, Vienna Lager died out uh, sometime in the World Wars. It's not even clear. Uh, the it, it, it happened in the midst of time. And um, as I would learn when we got the... Uh, the archive, and I'm doing air quotes here. Uh, it was a it was a filing cabinet. 
Yeah. And uh, uh, Andreas uh, started digging around in there. He's like, oh, here's, this is interesting. Oh, this is interesting. <laughs> and um, and he produced, so what I really wanted was a brewing log from Anton Dreyer's time. Right. That was the gold. That was like my my holy grail. Uh-huh. The whole reason I, I went to um, Vienna instead of Salzburg, which apparently by all accounts is the more uh, robust brewing city in, right. in Austria. Mm-hmm. Uh, I went there to talk. I wanted to find out about Vienna Lager and I wanted to see if there were brewing logs. There were no brewing logs from his period, but we did find a brewing log from 1894. That's- and that was pretty good. Pretty so cool. that was, he, uh, Dreyer was dead at that point, but they, we looked at the brewing logs and they were still making only Vienna lager. Ah. They were making a, a weak and a strong version of Vienna lager. Um, it had a little bit of Farbe malt, Farbe malt, which is color malt uh-huh. in the stronger version, but it was such a tiny amount. Um, it was like five kilos out of 6,500 kilos. Right. So uh, just a flash of color they were trying to add into this, this beer. Otherwise it was all Vienna malt. So it was, it was actually quite cool. Um, and they had one other brewing log. So they had these two random brewing logs. And the other one was from like the 20s, also still making uh, Vienna lager. So I felt that that was, um, it was productive to see that. And then it was great to talk to uh, Andreas because it turns out that at the 175th anniversary of the first brewing of Vienna lager, mm-hmm. uh, the Schweckett Brewery thought, hey, you know, maybe we should make a Vienna lager. <laughs> this would be a good time to recreate this. And uh-huh. so they, they started brewing it again, and now Vienna lager is coming back to Vienna. Uh-huh. And so it's very uh, cool. I, I my, tour, my tour there, I was kind of trying to find I, – I wanted to see what, what other breweries were doing, um, and there are some cool craft breweries there doing interesting stuff as well. But um, I, I was really – trying to find the Vienna Lager to see if Vienna Lager come back. And what characterizes Vienna Lager for the uninitiated? Vienna Lager is, uh, so Vienna malt is a darker, mm-hmm. fuller malt than Pils malt. Right. And uh, historically, these beers were made with all Vienna malt, and okay. they would have been quite, they would not look pale to our modern eyes, right. uh, but they were paler than the, the dark beers that were being made yeah. than the Dunkel Lagers. Um, and, and we had, so for example, we had the Schweckitz Vienna Lager, which was, I have to say, the best Vienna Lager I had in Vienna. Uh, there you go. As it should be, yeah. I think, right? You know, you <laughs> right. guys should be making the best Vienna Lager. Uh, they, 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 there was actually a local competition and they, they, they placed second and they, they, oh. they were, they were kind of, they were, they were, they were relieved. They were more than anything. They were relieved. It's like, well, if we entered this and we didn't place in the top three, it would be really bad. Right. <laughs> But that beer, um, it was a very full palate. Um, the malt was uh, 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 like warm bread. It had a real warmth to it. It it um, there was a a note that uh, uh, Andreas had, and I have read this somewhere that said it's like fire in a glass. And I think it was a contemporary description of what it looked like. And so it's a fuller uh, uh, beer that has. A, a kind of viscosity that you don't find in modern beers. Mm-hmm. And it's not very popular, it turns out. Uh, no, they're not selling much of it. <laughs> yeah, the, and the local Viennese don't like it. And here's the really, the, the most interesting thing about my stop in, in Austria was that uh, I discovered that they make a beer called Merzen, uh, which is not like the German Merzen, but okay. it's, it constitutes 60% of the market. Wow. It's the mass market lager. All the big breweries make it. If you walk into any bar or restaurant in the country, there are at least one and usually a few of these things. It's like the Budweiser. Mm-hmm. And much like in 
Germany, they're exceptionally good beers. Oh. I was really, really enjoying them. And this has had an interesting effect in Austria, which is that the craft breweries are having a really hard time getting going because the there's no the the customers are not pining for better beer. They uh-huh. have great beer. Uh-huh. And so these little craft breweries are not uh, they've started and they're doing some interesting work. I've visited two that offer a good uh, example. One <clears throat> is making American style IPAs and right. other stuff. And they also make a Vienna lager. It's not as good as Schweckitz, but they make one. A couple of lagers, a fairly American approach. And they thought that they would ramp up and, and they had plans to build this big production brewery. And, right. Um, and and then the sales just didn't come, and they had to shelve that. And I visited this other brewery uh, that does mostly lagers, craft brewery, little nano, a little two-barrel nano, and they were also thinking they would scale up. Um, never found the market. Uh, they, they're they doing great at their current level. Their production is fine, mm-hmm. but, um, but it's very hard to operate a brewery that small. Yeah. So uh, they're looking to sell. And oh, no, interesting. They, yeah. Do you know anything about market access? Do they are they able to find their way? Yeah, it's not an issue of access. They oh. they, they it's an it's a the customers are just demand. Not, yeah, oh. yeah. They're just not that interested in so, it. So uh, describe the Meritzen that you that you have all over Austria. Yeah. So they, there's a little bit of a range, and and um, I I have a couple of uh, clips here from Andreas, which we can go to after I describe this, okay. uh, which just kind of give you a flavor of, of uh, my visit and, and Andreas. I think it's always nice to hear these people. Um, he, he gives a little bit of an overview of the beers you find in Austria and then uh, talks a little bit about the Vienna lager thing that we've just talked about. Um, but anyway, the uh, the Merzen is, you know, like a, a 5% beer, maybe a little bit less, mm-hmm. golden really gorgeous beers actually uh you know they they're light lagers but they have a more gold quality right. they're a little bit more colorful and beautiful and they they can vary so some are a little bit more effervescent some are a little bit flatter some are a little bit hoppier some are a little bit maltier mm-hmm. and i think each you know each brewery and there's a number of big breweries that make these kind of have found their their niche and so if you're a you know a schweckit person you you do that if you're a gooser person you do that and whatever it is right. so uh they they found their 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 kind of markets and you know I can tell you if I lived there I would be happy to drink those beers all day long. Are they using like German Hallertauer? So yeah. interesting fact: there are hop fields in Austria. Oh, sorry, yeah. <laughs> sorry, I, Austria. I was kind of also shocked about that. There are two of them. Um, one is in, is in uh, the north part, and one is near Slovenia in the south. There's uh-huh. a place called Styria. Uh-huh. So Styrian Goldings. We've oh all heard yeah, of that. yeah, yeah, of course. So Styria straddles Slovenia and Austria. So there's uh, so there's hops growing on both sides. Yeah, okay. I know. So the, so the, the Meritsons have Austrian hops. Uh, they do. Um, the hop the hop fields are there's not enough hops in the country to supply all the breweries, and right. so they do do some uh, German hops as well. But they have uh, local malt, lo- local barley, and three malt houses that that they get their malt from. So it is completely self-contained, mm-hmm. and it's really an interesting beer culture that. You know, I think I, I I'm embarrassed that I didn't realize what was going on there. I just assumed it was going to be just like Germany. Right. It was going to be like a little Germany, yeah. and um, I, all the beer would be the same, and probably the ingredients would come from Germany because it's right there, and you know the history and all. And uh, and I I was so shocked to learn all of this and and chastened and and now I know better. I okay. I, I recommend it. It's a great place to go uh, for beer. It's you know it's not the kind of um, country that is getting a lot of attention. So if you're looking for a little 
kind of cool uh, beer culture <laughs> that yeah baseball yeah that's that's a little different it's a little off speed pitch it's a pretty cool place to go cool so let's listen to Andreas and then we can come back and talk about other countries all right sounds good so Merton is very common in, in, yeah. in Austria so more than 60% of the total consumed beers are at the grade of, of Merton that's right and those what what's is it is there a typical strength for those or uh, if you, you can you can call it Merzen if you have it, uh, gravity between 11 and so more, let's say they are mostly between 11 and and 12. And 12, it's got to yeah. be that tight. I didn't know. Uh, but we have a big range of so-called full beer. That means from 11 to 15.99. Uh, higher one is the Bock beer. Uh-huh. Uh, it has more and equal to 16 yes. and lowest they called shank beer from 9 to 11 right uh, and if you have a gravity higher than 12.5 you can say the special beer special beer so that means it has more body and so on right and if you sit on the table with some national colleagues uh, in the tasting panel uh, and if you tell them, so I'm from Vienna, say, oh, Vienna Lager. <laughs> and, and in former times, I had to say, sorry, but in, in completely Austria, we don't have any Vienna Lager. Yeah. So they started reinventing the, the, the style, uh, more or less in, yeah, let's say, two, three years ago. Wow, that yeah. recently. Yeah, yeah. Because the, <clears throat> the former Vienna Lager gets paler and paler, brighter and brighter, more light. Right. And now we have this Merzen and, and Lager uh, color, now, which is quite common. What about uh, the Vienna malt? Is that still That's the same or do you make from, it here? From the color, yeah, yeah. It's, we receive it from the maltings at the Stadtlau. Uh-huh. So it's uh, more or less you have the killing temperature for Pilsner is about... Uh, 80, 85 degrees. Yes. And for the Vienna mold, it's 90 up to 95. And okay. that brings more color. Uh-huh. And yeah. But in, in former times, it was a big, uh, let's say, uh, innovation. Uh, in former times, the killing was done by by more or less you put fire from wood and pass it uh, by the, through the kiln right uh, so you got very uh, dark and and smoky mold and during this uh, uh, traveling with Anton uh, with with Sedelmeier uh, uh, Anton Dreher gets uh, in touch with the new system at, at England so with the indirect killing, uh, they just produce uh, hot air, uh-huh. and the air is uh, put through the green mold, so they can get brighter pale mold. And the pale mold in, in Vienna they call now Vienna mold. Okay, that was interesting. So I have a question: Is is it is this still a major brewery in Austria? So are they doing the Merzen and selling lots of it and Yes, it's actually a brewery uh, that was, uh, it's it's the Schweckett Brewery, uh-huh. owned by Brau Union, uh-huh. which is in turn owned by Heineken. Oh, uh, okay. So, <laughs> yes, it's a, it's a very big brewery, and they have sister breweries elsewhere, uh, uh, and 
Uh, they, they don't actually produce that much beer, like a million hectos a year. Okay. Uh, so it's, I mean, the country is only 8 million people. I was going to say, for yeah. the size of the country, that's still a lot. Yeah. Yeah. It's a big brewery, but it's not, I mean, I've been in way bigger breweries than this. Right. It, it was a big industrial brewery, but not, not giant. Right. Okay. So shall we move on? Yeah, let's let's move on to Poland. Let's move to Poland. Uh, which I will confess, I chose. I wanted to go to the east, uh, Eastern Bloc countries and see what was happening. You know, all all these countries were collectivized. They, were, they all had breweries, and then they kind of went into the stasis and had pretty uninteresting beer. So Poland, Romania, right. uh, Hungary, these kind of countries. And I wanted to go see what was shaken. And everyone says Budapest is the place. Like that's where all the great beer is happening. And that's the cool stuff. Uh-huh. Go to Budapest. And everyone says Budapest is an amazing city and I would right. love it. Yeah. But I have my whole life wanted to go to Krakow. <laughs> and I thought I'm going to use this opportunity to go to Krakow. Okay. And it was such a good move. Krakow is literally the coolest city I've ever been in in Europe. It is my very favorite European city. Awesome. I have. I've not been, so I can't. Yeah, nobody's comment. been. It's it's uh it's gorgeous. It's old. It's got a beautiful old town, million old cathedrals, but it's very well laid out, and there's parks all over the place, and the people are happy. It's a very young city. Mm-hmm. A lot of young people there. Um, I know that the 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 country is in a little bit of a one of those uh, <laughs> politically there's there's some interesting stuff going populist on populist wave yeah there's a yes. populist wave but it, it felt like like a cosmopolitan city of young people um there was a lot of it, it reminded me a lot of portland in fact there were like a lot of little i went into a coffee shop which was owned by a a a couple and the woman was a knitter and so there was this loft and you went up to the loft and it had all this knitting stuff up there and uh you know he was very into good beer and or good good coffee and you know you see people a lot of craft a lot of innovation you know a lot of creativity it's a very vibrant city but it's this ancient city it's the you know the the seat of of culture so right amazing so uh, also a great place for craft breweries. And I went to a number of craft breweries there and I have to say they're doing fine beer. Uh, they're not making, um, beer that is particularly distinctive. Uh-huh. It's not like, uh, there's a, I could not discern a, a Polish thrust. Right, right. And when I would ask people what kind of beer they like, they said IPA. <laughs> 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 so they, they've been kind of, you know, swept up in the way that we drink. Um, are there are there local ingredients they use, or is it mostly imported malts, hops? I, I think it's mostly imported. Although I, the truth is, I didn't uh, tour a brewery there. I really just wanted to absorb the culture uh-huh, in this sure. place. Um, I knew that if I toured a brewery, I, I would have been able to answer some of these questions. But for the most part, they're small. Uh, I, I did actually try to uh, tour a brewery that um, that makes a great Baltic porter that I love, uh-huh. and they they were just. They, <laughs> They were just so non-responsive. Uh, I, I got the marketing person and they're like, well, we'll send it off to this brewery because they have, they have a few breweries, but right. the one that where they brew the Baltic Porter is not far from Krakow and I would have taken a train out there and toured it if they'd let me. But they said, uh, we'll send it there, but I wouldn't hold your breath and I never heard anything. Yeah. I was like, well, they obviously don't read Jeff Allworth in Polish or they would know us. <laughs> the beer Bible hasn't been translated That's yet. Right, roll out the red card. on that. So anyway, I, 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 I don't know so much about that. Um, the... The interesting thing that that Poland has historically is this beer style we mentioned, the, the opening called Grodzicki, or uh, uh, you know, yeah, however you said it, which was nice. Which yeah, is a, I don't remember, but it's a it's an old, very old style beer uh, that is made with smoked malt and a lot of hops, 
And I've had versions of this beer which are interesting, <laughs> but not uh, not delightful, not exciting. Right. Uh, and one int- one one fascinating thing about Poland is it's a place where a lot of beer gets drunk. I think it's the fourth most in in uh, uh, the EU. Mm-hmm. But interestingly. Um, Unlike many of the other countries that are high on consumption, right. most of that is is not in pubs, and uh, and and they don't have a big pub culture there. Right. But what they do have is all these little stores all around, and every time you walk in, they have pretty amazing selections of beer. Right. So I was buying quite a bit of bottled beer because I could get access to and, and a lot of craft breweries from all over the country, right. which was cool. So I bought a Grodziski that way, and it was very fresh mm-hmm. and it was extraordinary. Oh. It was from Brower Grodzisk. And um, they, they, I, I think it's a very hard beer to brew properly, which is why I haven't had ones that really excited me right. before. This one, the smoke worked, or the yeah, the the smoky malt worked with the hops. There was a, a tannic astringency in both of them mm-hmm. that came together to harmonize. I think it's it's often the case that those clash. Right. It was very effervescent, almost champagne-like. Right. And it had. Uh, uh, quite a bit of acidity, it seemed like. Like, it hadn't been soured, but it really felt like it was, you know, uh, uh, they had they had really lowered the pH in the beer. Right. And all of these elements really harmonized, and it was crazy drinkable. And it was, uh, you know, it tasted, it wasn't super smoky either. Mm-hmm. It wasn't like real, it wasn't like a Rauk beer. Um, and after, and it was, it was kind of surprising in the first couple of drinks, but really quickly, it just tasted normal, and I was just drinking it like crazy. Right. So, right. apparently it's not, Stan Hieronymus uh, has written quite a bit about this, and the homebrewers in Poland used to invite him, and he was visiting the region, which is pretty far from Krakow, where, where Grodzisk is. Right. Um, and they were trying to revival, but it just didn't take. It's an old, weird beer style, and yeah. you know, people are int- <laughs> interested in IPAs. So I, I think that's a bit of a dead end. The, the one thing uh, that they do make a lot of, which is a more traditional style, is a Baltic porter. Yeah. Uh, and I purchased in... Uh, the bottle stores a, a few Baltic porters, and it seems like so traditionally the Baltic the Polish Baltic porters are lagers, and it seems like the the, mm. the, the new craft breweries are making them more like stouts. They're ales, okay, um, but they have characteristics. They're trying to make them taste like lagered beers. Yeah, uh, they're trying to they're trying to get rid of the fruitiness right. and make them smooth. And I and I tried to bring one of those today, <laughs> so that we could drink one right now. And I reached into the fridge and uh, did not realize until I pulled these beers out here in the studio that what I pulled out was a cider. Fortunately, uh, you have a substitute beer here. Uh, maybe we can drink this instead. Yeah, uh, and this uh, full disclosure sort of goes in with our uh, partnership, our sponsorship of uh, Freem Beer. So Freem had me out over the weekend, and they sent me home with uh, a whole bunch of beer. Uh, thank you. Um, but they. Uh, uh, we're very excited about their um, two beers, uh, and you thankfully have done the pronunciation here. So, Drauf, is that how you think? That's how Google Translate said it. Okay, they're, they're, they're Drauf. I, I always want to put an accent on it, but I don't even know how you do accent here. So, uh, Drauf Blanc and Drauf Rouge, as you said, it's a mix of Flemish and French. Is that right? Yes, it would be. It should. It should probably be uh, a Drauf Wit. Wit, of course, is white. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Blanc uh, or Drau, uh, uh, Drauf. Uh, rude, R O O O D. Rude, rude. So, uh, these are both frame beers. Uh, uh, the the Drauf Rouge is a lambic style base, aged one in, one and two years. Uh, 
They went to a local winery, uh, harvested and sorted uh, and lightly pressed uh, their fruit directly into their own steel vessel. So this is the red uh, Pinot grapes. Mm -hmm. Uh, They drove back and racked it into the beer. So basically they got... It's sort of like fresh hop. It was. It's interesting. I read. I was like, oh, it's like fresh hop. You went right to there and you harvested it and you brought it right back. Yeah. Right. So this is once again. Let's explain the terroir of, of Oregon here, which is we've got a lot of wine grown locally, a lot of uh, hops as well, um, and so uh, there's a big booming wine industry uh, in the same area where there's a big booming craft beer industry. So not surprisingly, sometimes there's a overlap. So yeah, this sounds very much like fresh hop season. We went over there, got some fresh fruit. Uh, uh, pressed it into their vessel and then racked it into the beer. And then they uh, matured it for nine months um, in uh, oak barrels, I think. Yeah. Okay. So that, that's the one difference is uh, it's, not, it's not fresh hopped that way. It's uh, th- Then it gets matured. Yes, so, yes, yeah. that's right. And then the Blanc is a blend of Riesling grapes from Brooks Winery, a, a, a local winery. Um, they used a three-year-old Lambic-style blend and they aged it in wine barrels supplied by Brooks uh, for six months. And you have that one, so let's crack that. And I have that one. I can crack it. I actually tried both of these at the brewery. Um, They gave me samples of both. Both were very interesting, delightfully, uh, and delightful. The grape, well, you'll be able to choose your own, but for the rouge, the the Pinot grape flavor was really present, but um, uh, nicely balanced by the the Lambic base, or Lambic style base, I guess. Ready? Here we go. I I have no idea how effervescent this is going to be. Woo! I'm going to say a lot. (laughs) Whoopa! Yeah, I think yeah. you. Yeah, I think you can hear how effervescent that is. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's got some volumes. So All right, that, well, let's let that settle for a minute. That's, yeah, that's, in, <laughs> that's entirely foam, <laughs> but quickly settling. Ooh. Yeah, that's really you know the the uh, uh, the microphone does a really good job keep capturing all that really and it's does. allowed yeah, that <laughs> was gonna say that was quite a that was quite a pop. <laughs> all right, well while that's settling, let me let me. Uh, continue on uh to uh, we, i went to lithuania next we're going to skip that because that was super cool and super weird yeah. it deserves its own pod look for the lithuania pod coming up soon and then from lithuania i went to uh berlin which is the one place main place in in uh, germany i've never been um it has not been known for its beer uh in recent times right uh and I didn't see a reason to prioritize it. It's kind of off in the middle of nowhere compared to the other places I need to go in Germany. But right. but this time I wanted to go back because Germans in the interim from the last time I wrote the Beer Bible have started to get interested in uh, branching out, doing new beers. And okay, I'm moving this away from it because it's getting a little loud. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. <laughs> it's hard to hear you. <laughs> it was, uh, was, yeah, it's like a fire burning over there. Yeah. Uh, the... Uh, nexus of of innovation right now though is happening in Berlin and so I wanted to go and see what the Berliners were up to and also uh, there are some revival breweries making Berliner Weisse proper Berliner Weisse so yeah, good. that's the setup let's taste this and, beer and Berlin rocks by the way so and Berlin rocks reason, yeah, yeah that's the other because it's a fantastic city I love it yeah it, it, it was a very it's a very interesting city all, all these places I'm not even able to i Describe Krakow a little bit, but I have not been describing the, the cities themselves, which all have their own personality, all very interesting. I could talk for hours on that, but you're right. Berlin is cool. Yeah, Berlin is particularly interesting because it's sort of unhinged from, I mean, it's it's deeply enmeshed in the local history, but in the sense, sort of the culture is almost like freed from the restraints of 
you know, like a really conservative Bavaria Munich sort of. Totally. But it is also, um, uh, you know, it was this, it was a divided place. It's this mm-hmm. weird patchwork place. Yeah. So it's, 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 uh, its personality is not, not so intact. That's interesting. It's, um, it's barely acidic. You know, yes. it's, it's not, yeah. it's not a, uh, if you, if you handed someone who didn't know anything about beer, that beer and said it was a sour beer, you would really be misleading. Them. Yeah. Because the, the blend is pretty grape heavy, right? That's, mm-hmm. that was my take. Mm-hmm. So it really features the grape mm-hmm. more than the beer, which is interesting That's because right. often it's the other way around in these things. The grape just enhances, or they'll just age something in a, in a Pinot barrel and you'll get a little hint of the Pinot, but this is really trying to, to highlight the grape itself. Yeah, there there is. Um, I would say the wildness comes through with a kind of Brett Funk. Yep. So it's uh, it's grapes and Brett Funk. <laughs> it's good. Yeah, I'd like to try the uh, the Pinot. Um, I'm sure that tastes quite a bit different. It did. It was yeah, very different. Um, uh, also really nice. Okay. So that that is. Uh, uh, Thanks this, for that tipple. This beer has clearly <laughs> been released. You have this beer, so uh, you can find that um, in the marketplace if you look for it. Uh, yeah. Okay, so back to uh, Berlin because uh, I had a great time in Berlin and I had uh, a couple of really sublime evenings. The first one <laughs> was with uh, uh, Peter Schnitz, who is the husband of Ulrika Gens, who is the 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 the, the brewer behind uh, Schneuli, S C H N E E E. U-L-E, three E's, and it means snowy owl. Yeah. And that's probably better, yeah. Uh, <laughs> like I say, it's always the, con- it's just all in the conviction. That's right. Um, uh, Ulrika, who uh, Peter calls uh, Ule, mm-hmm. was in the United States, unfortunately, oh. on, the, on the time that I Cross visited. Path. So I didn't get to talk to her, but he was super gracious and... Uh, invited me out for a, a night of, of uh, tasting her beers. And she makes largely Berliner Weisses. Ah. She makes a couple of beers that are uh, not not Berliner Weisses, but they're made in the, the same fashion. Mm-hmm. Um, but they're made with, uh, she's got one that's a dark beer. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's like a dark Berliner Weisse, right. kind of a, you know, an off-speed pitch. But but the cool thing is, so as, as we know, and as we've talked about on this podcast, uh, proper Berliner Weisse is not a kettle sour beer. It is a beer that is made uh, with with lactic fermentation mm-hmm. and alcohol fermentation, but then uh, is aged on brettanomyces. Right. Really important because the brett will convert the acids that the lactic uh, bacteria produce into esters. Right. So you get this incredibly fruity beer. Right. And if you don't have that brettanomyces, and you don't get a lot of goaty stuff, it, it doesn't really produce that that quality. The stuff. Yeah. It, it really is all about the ester production. Um, and you know, these, these styles of beers died out in, in, in Berlin. Uh, the one Schulteist was the last one that was making beer and, and they died out, I think in the nineties. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's very cool that she's doing this and, uh, they make a series of different beers. Their, their classic Berliner Weiss is called Marlena. Mm-hmm. And I, I identified in, in that, a, a, a characteristic that, uh, is, is, part of, of the house character and it, and it comes from the Brett which they, they got from a bottle uh, an old bottle of Berliner Weisse which I, I think is not from Schultheist which is really cool I think it's from an even older brewery that oh. died earlier but it produces this amazing peach ester 
So it and it's so distinctively peach. I had to ask, like this doesn't have peach in it, right? This is this is just the ester. Yep, just the ester. In fact, she has no fruit, uh, Berliner Weisses. She feels that that's a bastardization. Oh, interesting. But she does have another one called um, Kennedy, uh-huh. uh, <laughs> which says on the front, Ich ein Berliner Weisse, <laughs> which is spectacular. Ich bin ein. Ich, ich bin ein, thank you. Right. Um, and that is uh, made with dry hops, of course, right? So you're going to make, you're going to do a dry hop one, you give it an American name. That uh, is beautiful. They're really spectacular beers. Really spectacular beers. Uh, I mean, these are, are this is an important are syrups brewery. present in her? No. no. <laughs> you no. get it all from the esters. You get it, yeah. There's she, no Woodruff. <laughs> she's very much like the guys of Verzette. She has chosen, they're, they're old punk rockers. Mm-hmm. They're, they've been married uh, nice. for a while. I think they're younger than us, but not, not young people. And um, they're prepared to have a, a business that is small. Uh, as long as they can do what they want. Right. And they have a punk ethos that way. Nice. And uh, very cool. There's another brewery called Lemke that uh, does a, another Berliner Weisse in the proper way, and I tried that one. Uh, it's good. Um, after the Schneehule, uh I felt that it was a little bit thin and, and la- lacked the complexity and, and the brightness that she got, but um, mm-hmm. also cool. And and there's one other brewery that makes another traditional one. So these, these beers are coming back, which is great. Um, and then on my last night, I went to. By the way, just really quickly, how how Berliner Weisse became this thing that American craft beer, craft brewers sort of uh, started. Maybe it wasn't that popular, but I mean, I remember seeing Berliner Weisses, you know, what ten years ago in the U.S. Uh, does that um, predate or? Uh, it, yeah, it predates the revival in, in Berlin. Yeah. So, do you think that that had an effect? I do, yeah, I do. I think, uh, I think, I think it it comes from the inspiration of American craft brewers. Mm-hmm. Um, you'd have to ask Uli what you know what her inspiration was. I don't know, but right. um, but I think, yeah, I think, I think there's something about so like America the rest can of, still be a force for good in the world. I, yeah, I think, <laughs> I think, it, I think it might be kind of uh, you know it might fill you with some kind of uh, pride to see yeah, this other cool. country make make your traditional homeland beer. Yeah. So it's been kind of a theme about how craft beer is trying to yeah that in our in our podcast lately. So yeah, and these and, and of course these are people who uh, have access to a, a heritage and tradition that Americans don't have. And Peter told me that they had uh, contacted the last brewer at Schultheist uh-huh. and interviewed him and talked and looked at his brewing logs and talked to him about beer. So uh, she is getting information uh, from the lineage, you know, in that lineage and learning even more traditional proper way than, than any American would have access to. Yeah. So yeah. very cool stuff. I think it's an important brewery. And I think, um, if you, you know, if you're anywhere near Berlin, it should be the, 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 the beer you seek out for sure. I think it's, it's just a really cool brewery. Yeah. Um, the last night I was in town, I went to Schopa Bra- uh, which is, uh, Thor- Thorsten Schopa is the brewer there and the owner. And he makes American IPAs and other uh-huh. stuff. He makes he makes a lot of different kinds of beers, but um, then he makes a classic Hellas, a great Hellas. He makes a great Dunkel. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and he was pouring beers. It turns out on Monday nights he pours beers uh, at his own pub, and, nice. and I didn't realize that. And we started talking <laughs> like, "Oh, you're Thorsten. Oh, wow, that's really cool." <laughs> we had a nice evening, and um, uh, I had a goal when I went to Germany. Mm-hmm. My goal was I want to see can a German make an IPA. Uh, and and the first place I went to, which was before Schopenhauer, uh-huh. uh, terrible IPA. 
Very German. Very malty. Not very hoppy. Uh-huh. Uh, tasted oxidized, even though it was right at the brewery. Right. I'm fine. You know, that's like seemed like a classic German IPA. And he had a hazy, uh-huh. and it was spot on. It was just rocking. And uh, I, I asked him, you know, how do you how do you source your hops? And he said, well, yeah, I get uh, I get them from Yakima, and uh, they're shipped cold, and I have a, a cold warehouse, and mm. I really take care of my hops. It's like, yep, this all makes sense to me. Yeah. And he knows how to brew. And, um, you know, I, I, I don't know that IPAs are going to be a thing in Germany, but I do think that when brewers understand how to do a technique that comes from another country, yeah. it enriches their sense of their own beer. And so I don't know how much IPA is ever going to be sold there, but uh, people like Thorsten will, you know, they, they learn more about these other traditional ways of making beer. At this point, we can say American IPAs are a traditional way of making beer. And I think it will, you know, inform if they want to do a dry hop, uh, Hellas or, a, you know, whatever. Uh, he, he's very interested in some of the new beer and the new hops that are being developed down in uh, in the Hollertau region. Uh, and those could, you know, affect their, their hop. They're, they're fruitier and more modern. And so all of that stuff gets put into the churn and then it comes out looking like he can do a good American IPA, but probably the benefit will be something that looks halfway between German and, yes. and, uh, and American yeah. down the line. Yeah, that would be cool. Cool. Uh, so I take it you, you skipped the flying dog. No, <laughs> flying dog. Uh, brew dog. <laughs> yes, I skipped <laughs> brew dog. dog. Brew dog pound or whatever it is. Yeah, yeah I went to a lot of breweries and I, I, I should just mention the, the first night I went to a brewery, I, I got into town, I Googled breweries. Uh, just to see, I had a list of the ones I wanted to see, but I want to see if there's anything near my hotel. 10 minute walk away, little brew pub. I walk over there. I have a spectacular Hellas. Mm, nice. Great sausage dinner, spectacular Hellas. This was my um, aperitif before the, the Berliner Weiss tasting. Yeah. Weisse. And uh, I went to a very similar place later in my trip. I walked in and I had terrible beer. Oh. It was badly made. Uh, it had. Uh, a couple of off flavors uh-huh. and this stuff happens in Germany yeah. like we always think that German beer is perfect and all these guys they're trained at Weinstefan uh, you know they're, they are actually trained right you have to be trained and right. so the beer is always good no Germany has bad beer so every place has <laughs> bad <flesh>. beer <laughs> typically I don't go to places that will have bad beer mm-hmm. you know I, I always seek out I do my research and talk to people and uh, I had many guides on my trip and uh, like when I was in Vienna I had a uh, a guy named Franz Hofer who lives there he's a Canadian but he's a he's an academic and he's uh, he lives there and he took me all around that was great gave me great insight we met a few brewers that he knew and so that means I didn't have any bad beer in Vienna right <laughs> right but if you just start randomly walking sure. into breweries yeah. anywhere in the con- in the world you're going to find some bad beer even in even, Ger- even in Berlin and even in Portland Oregon yeah even in Portland exactly so just something to note all right. Well, let's let's uh, turn now to the uh, mailbag. Uh, Cameron uh, Preeby. So what? How? That's that would be my guess too. Yeah, I was I was hesitating there. Just make give me my best guess before I went. Yeah. But uh, Cameron Preeby writes: I'm a new listener to the Beervana podcast from Des Moines, Iowa. Welcome to the Beervana podcast family. Yeah, another <laughs> another Hawkeye or another Hawkeye stater. Anyway, let's yeah. say. Don't, don't know, don't know, don't know what your that. affiliation is. Maybe a sycamore. Go know. Badgers. Uh, I just wanted, <laughs> I just wanted to, to know, Patrick, and your opinion and thoughts on the pastry ales that have been picking up in my area. Aha, uh-huh, yes. Many of them are too sweet and too 
uh, very unbeer-like in my opinion. But some of the pastry sours have been quite good. Also, looking forward to your second edition of the Beer Bible. Thank you. Uh, Thanks for a great podcast, guys. Well, thank you very much, Cameron. So... Pastry stouts. In fact, you 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 dropped a pastry stout. <laughs> I know, right? At the beginning, saying it was great. So, what do you think? I think the style is not uh, defective or anything, but you know, f- to the extent that you're trying to make a beer not taste like a beer, um, I'm going to like it less. So, if it's just if it you know, if it if it tastes like a a, a confection that has nothing to do with beer. I don't I don't love those. I sweet is not my favorite. Yeah. It doesn't uh, well I'll put it this way. It doesn't match the way that I drink beer. But uh you know, I don't uh, well what I'm trying to say is that perhaps there's a there's a category of dessert beer, right? That you have at a certain point in the evening, you know, after your meal or something, you have a little something sweet and but I it's not really that's not kind of the way that I approach beer generally. Yeah, if I want something sweet, this beer, this this drought beer we have here <clears throat> has elements of sweetness. Many beers have elements of sweetness. Yeah. So I would prefer something like that that's not that so many of the pastry beers are one note. Yeah. And I think the reason the pastry sours are better is because that sweetness is balanced by acidity. So you have the balance and, yeah. and all of a sudden the the structure comes back into the beer where these exactly. these other ones are so flabby and sweet and can be so heavy and and cloying. Yeah, balance is probably the most important thing in beer in general. Just yep. hops and malt. I will say that um, I would have been surprised. I didn't expect, I haven't had too many, and I didn't expect to, to like them at all. I don't even find anything redeemable about them. But actually, you know, these are accomplished beers. They're, uh-huh. As you say, they're not exactly what I'm looking for and really sweet. But they're a lot better uh, than I had expected just hearing the description. There is a critique of these beers along with hazy IPAs that they're uh, all marketing gloss and that they're not serious beers. If you actually talk to producers who like to make these beers, they take it as seriously as any other brewery. Sure. They put as much uh, thought into it and there's as much craft in these beers that are made well as in any beer style. And you know, some people don't like black IPAs Jeff raises his hand, uh, and some people don't like pastry stouts. And it, you know, I think we shouldn't extend uh, a judgment about the brewery or the beer style itself. Yeah. Uh, do, you, do you think it's going to last? Do you think in ten years will you see pastry stouts? I, I think that the phenomenon, which is reaching a, a, a level of popularity now, will, will fall back. I, I, yeah, I feel like uh, one off here and there. Yeah, I feel like uh, hazy IPAs are with us forever. Yeah. I don't, I don't. That may not. It may not be as quite as popular as it is now driving everything but those seem like a a really you know kind of successful launch i think the 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 pastry stouts feel a little uh uh short in the tooth short in the tooth yeah. <laughs> anyway all uh, right uh, uh we had another mailbag oh yeah our other mailbag that's right which is we, what i was this... trying to signal you which is why jeff has because i'm making hand signals to him right i i thought it was a clock thing so we got one from ben keen yes uh via the uh the the uh twitter the inner handle. tubes so yeah oh. here we go ben asks ben is um of course a, a friend of the blog a friend of the pod who we interviewed when we were in uh seattle seattle he asked i'd be interested very interested to learn about how Poland's traditional and contemporary beer cultures are similar and or different from those of its neighbors. And I would say, uh, in, you know, in the main, not so different, like they're driven by mass market loggers, uh, on the, on the, on the, on the popular end, the craft breweries are being driven by America, uh, on the lower end. But with the big, the, the big distinction being they do have this 
Grudzitsky tradition and this uh, Baltic right. border tradition. And the Baltic border tradition in particular seems to be thriving, something that there is a pull from the marketplace rather than a push from the breweries. Right. And it is, uh, you know, you see Baltic borders elsewhere, but but that actually seems to be an indigenous piece of Polish culture that is actually, I'm looking at that to be uh, quite likely something that grows more popular over time um, and and becomes a bigger part of the Polish scene. So that'll be cool. Interesting. And I do think we, you know, we have this phrase Baltic Porter, but the truth is uh, most of the producers have been in Poland for a long time. It's really a Polish style. Right. So um, that's cool. So go Poland. Go Poland. All right. A few words going out. Uh, once again, we want to extend a hearty thank you to Freem Family Brewers for sponsoring this episode of the Beervana Podcast. They are located in Hood River, Oregon. They are also located online at freembeer.com, P-F-R-I-E-M-B-E-E-R.com. Uh, you can subscribe to us on iTunes or whatever the new thing they're calling their podcast app in Apple, uh, SoundCloud, Stitcher, wherever you get your podcast. Don't forget to rate us and review us. Five stars, please. Of course. Uh, that helps other listeners find the show. Uh, we'd love to hear from you. Thanks to uh, Ben and Cameron for your questions uh, this time. If you want to be in touch, you can uh, message us through the uh, Twitter handle at BeervanaPod. You can send an email to jeff at BeervanaBlog.com uh, or uh, the Beervana Blog Facebook page. Lots All, of good ways to yes. get in touch. All good. And please do. Uh, we have been a little bit inconsistent with my travels. We are now back in the saddle Look for us once a week, these podcasts to drop, and <clears throat> please react. Give us your thoughts, your comments, your criticisms. We love criticisms. Please lay, lay it on us. Uh, just lay it let on it, Jeff. Yeah. Well. I could do without it. <laughs> <laughs> as long as you give us five stars, you can criticize us. Uh, anyway, we'd love to hear from you, so so reach out. All right. Don't forget that Jeff blogs at Beervana Blog, and he tweets at Beervana. And Patrick tweets at Beeronomics. All right. I'm going to... Here, I'll do, I'll do the bottle, do the this, bottle time. this time and I'll do the glass. All right. All right. Cheers, Jeff. Cheers. Cheers.